You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Let me just read Isaiah chapter 6. This is going to be from verses 1 down to verse 13. So I'll do a bit of an explanation on Isaiah chapter 6. And I do understand for those of you who've been with Victory for quite some time now, you know that we're doing this every single year. But I feel like there is this particular passage that all of us, I would assume, are familiar with. And I realized, wait a second, hey, this has something to do with volunteerism as well. We love going to the New Testament, but I realized, you know, volunteerism, at least in the life of Isaiah, had some Something to do with this encounter with the holiness of God. So this is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 down to verse 13. It says here, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with the two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him called, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, I say this, has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until Until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate place. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many times in the midst of the land. And though a tent remain in it, it will be burned again like a terabith for an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. All right, so like what he said a while ago, I know that this is a familiar verse, familiar story, narrative passage for all of us. So what we have here actually is the prophet Isaiah having a vision of God. So it says here that this was perhaps one of the lowest moments of his life. When King Uzziah died, God shows up in a vision in front of of the prophet Isaiah. And literally, if you look at this, he had an awesome image of who God is, and it filled him with awe. It's quite clear there. The manner at which Isaiah described this was, he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and there was like a group of seraphims around him. There was like a group of seraphims around him, and they were calling to each other, which is actually called a trisagion, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And that's how powerful the chorus was that the temple was actually shaking, that the earth was basically filled with the glory of God because of the praises of the seraphims or the seraphs during the time. The place was filled with smoke. So like what he said, this was literally Isaiah's encounter with the holiness of God. And if you look at this, his response was not like he didn't say, wow. 
you know what I'm talking about? Like when you encounter something so good, say you, you watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy and you say, wow, this is so great. And then in the same aspect, he encountered someone who's so great, but they did say, wow, he said, whoa, is me, which is totally different. And it makes us, you know, it begs to make us understand, for us to understand why is that so? Okay, why is that so? Because in the presence of a holy God, every single one of us would realize our own sinfulness. In the presence of the holiness of God, we realize that we are mere mortals in a sense. And I want you all to understand that, you know, Isaiah was no ordinary guy because he was the prophets of the prophets. So meaning to say, he held a certain position over the people of the land. And yet, if you consider Isaiah to be the holiest among his people, his response to the holiness of God is, woe is me. In fact, he made a declaration by saying, I am ruined. In other translation, it says, I am lost. When he had an encounter with the holiness of God. I want us to look at his response. When he had an encounter with the holiness of God, here's what he says. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. When he encountered the holiness of God for some reason, it wasn't like everything became a blur to him. No, every single sin perhaps that he has ever committed in his lifetime started crossing his very mind. And he realized that, yes, he is the prophet of the prophets, yet he is still a man of unclean lips. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And the problem there is, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He says, so he starts comparing himself to God. He starts comparing his humanity. He starts comparing his life before the presence of God. And his realization was very simple. His realization was he's unworthy. He's unworthy. He realized that he is inadequate. If I am to superimpose my life to a mere fraction of the holiness of God, you'd realize your inadequacy. You'd realize your sinfulness. So Isaiah seeing the holy God who fills the earth, not just the temple, in his vision, who fills the earth with glory and realizes the contrast between the two of them. And here's what happened. He had a vision. He had a vision of the holiness of God. He had a vision of the seraphim singing in chorus how holy God is. And then he starts making a confession about his own sinfulness. If you look at the next few verses, actually, when he made a confession of his own sinfulness, he actually didn't ask for God's forgiveness. I mean, this was God's initiative. This was God's own initiative. In the same way, I want us all to understand, yes, some of you have been seeking God or have sought God the past couple of years, but at the end of the day, you are here because it was God's initiative. Amen. God's mercy. You are a recipient of the mercy, the grace, and the love of God because it was his own initiative. Like what he keeps saying, wala tayong ambag sa salvation natin. Then it says here, here's what happened. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that it has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin blotted out. You know, this was actually temple language. If you start studying this, this has something to do with how things are done in the temple. And that's basically what the seraphs did for him before Isaiah can even formulate the chorus of asking God for forgiveness, that forgiveness has already been granted. Amen. He stands before the holiness of God. And even before asking for God's forgiveness, the Lord has forgiven him. And guess what, friends? That forgiveness was complete. Isaiah's guilt, because it says here, your sin is blotted out. God's forgiveness over our life basically is complete. His guilt is gone. 
any sin is buried. I take comfort in that fact. It gives me so much confidence when I read verses that tells me that God's mercies are new every single morning. Amen. That is forgiveness in my life. That when I come before the presence of God, I am positionally righteous and I'm being made righteous through the process of sanctification. So here's what happened. When God now says, so I don't want us to get confused with this, but after his sin was atoned for, God says, who will go for us? Who shall I send? Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Now, other scholars would say that he was actually talking to the divine council. There's going to be someone among the heavenly beings, among the divine council, gathered before God, who's going to go for him. So that's why he was saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And guess what? When that question was asked, it was just like total silence. Now, what you all to understand is he who has been forgiven, he whose sins has been atoned for, who has, he who has been a recipient of the mercy and the grace and the love of God, when he heard that question from God, he simply says, here I am, send me. He says, here I am, send me. I realized that this was actually Isaiah volunteering himself to be of use by the Lord. And I'm thinking about this and I realized, wait a second, if you look at this, God actually didn't mention his name. God was not actually Isaiah, now that I have forgiven you, would you go for us? Would you represent us? It wasn't like that. God simply asked who will go for us, compare it to the situation of Moses. It is for Moses. I'm not putting Moses down, of course, but God asked him personally if he would go for his people. And Moses made so many excuses. By the way, say it wasn't an individual invitation. It's actually a call to whoever is going to respond. And I say right here, who starts understanding that before the presence of God, I am inadequate. And I want you all to understand that in the presence of a holy God, we are inadequate. Bible even teaches us that all of our righteous acts are but filthy runs. The best of the best that we can offer to the Lord if you want to get yourself saved or basically filthy run. So here's the prophet of the prophet when he realized that the Lord has forgiven him. And I want you all to understand is when he realized that the Lord has forgiven him, he simply tells the Lord, Lord, send me. What's the work that you want me to do? And I'm going to go out there and do it. God, the Lord of hosts, the Almighty, the Holy One, whose praises the seraphim sing is also the one who forgives and calls every single one into service. And I want you to understand this. A lot of times I realize that, you know, in a church like ours, in a setting like ours, Sometimes we feel like we are just a face in the crowd. But I want you all to understand that every single one of us here have been endowed by the Lord with talents and skills that should be used for the purposes of His kingdom. And I'm not even going to apologize for that because I realize that in a church is not a club. Amen? Church is not like my dance club, my jiu-jitsu club, my biking club. No, my life is intertwined with the life of the church. And because the Lord has saved us, because the Lord has forgiven us, it is incumbent upon us to bring in our talents and skills for the purposes of His kingdom. I say it is not wait to be asked individually. He responds immediately to the need He perceives. I like what a writer by the name of Erin Wadden said, the church does not need volunteers. Interesting. She said, the church doesn't need volunteers. That got me so curious. I got so intrigued with what she has to say. And she said, if you are 
a family of five, all right? You're a family of five, you're a family of four, and here you are as a husband, and you are coming from a dual-income household, and it was your day off as a husband, and your wife will have to go to work. Your wife will have to go to work, and your wife tells you, honey, I'm going to be back after five this evening, and I need you to babysit our kids. Are folks following? In a sense, if you look at that, that doesn't add up. Because as a father, you don't babysit that which is your own. I mean, you don't tell your husband to babysit your kids uh, as if her kids aren't your kids. So what Arian was saying is she wanted to make a definition. She said, to volunteer means that you are an outside resource. When you say you're going to volunteer, you're an outside resource stepping into to help a certain organization in need. It's what you do at a place that is important to you, but not at a place that belongs to you. And she was like saying churches belong to their members. Because if you look at this, this is our church building. But friends, the person seated beside you, in front of you, behind you, we are the church. So basically, if we look at it in a biblical perspective, in the scripture, the New Testament, church basically is all of us, every single one of us, coming together for corporate worship or even in victory groups. When I bring in something to a certain ministry, I am not an outsider because this is my church. Because this is my church. To say that when we do anything at church, we are volunteering, it's like saying that we are volunteering in our own homes to wash our dishes. Like, your mom wouldn't even ask you to clean the dishes. Your mom would just say, that's it. Okay, all right, you know it's time to wash the dishes. Why? Because it's your very own household. All I'm trying to say here is, if this is our church, then my talents, my service will be seen in my church. Amen. And it's interesting because it's actually real in the sense that, oh, no wonder that the body of Christ, the church, is a group of people gathered together and every single one of us are recipients of God's mercy because we all understand the lavishness of God's grace and mercy. So our words are basically the words of Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send. You know, encapsulated in the priesthood of all believers. That every single one of us basically are ministers in a sense. But that's not where the story ends. If you look at this, it's interesting because when Isaiah said, all right, Lord, here I am, send me. And then God says something afterwards. In a natural, God was like saying, okay, you're going to be a prophet. You're going to prophesy. And God was like, but they're not going to listen to you. God was like saying, I'm going to send you, but these people will not listen to you. And they realized, okay, in a sense, even in our own homes, you don't stop washing the dishes or sweeping the floor even if you realize that your home is already aging. When things start dilapidating, you're not going to say something, ah, our house is so old, I'm not going to do this anymore. No, all the more you do something. When things aren't adding up, whether in the ministry, in a given church, I want you all to understand that all the more, all the more that our service should be seen in a ministry like ours. Ted and Joy, they're not pastors of victory. This father-daughter tandem was just in Mindanao. There's a church planning endeavor in Kabadbaran City in Mindanao. And he committed to help the initial work that we're doing there. At age 83, at age 83 friends. So when I was a student of the School of Campus Ministry, and I attended Victory Fort, and I saw a familiar guy driving the L300 of the church. And it was actually him before he moved to Dumaguete. He has been a volunteer in different kinds of churches for the longest time. And just last week, 
You know, Ted, together with his daughter Joy, was in Kabadbaran City in Butuan to help with our church planting endeavors. And they were telling me a while ago, able to give so many Bibles, ESV Bibles. I want to call on two guys for a while. One uh, is a longtime volunteer of Victory Dumaguete. It's like, he's been a volunteer for us, okay, more than a decade, since 2004. And the other guy is a, is a longtime church member, but have recently volunteered in our ministry. I want to call on Peter for a while. Peter, would you please join us for a while? And Adonis, please join us. I want you all to hear their stories. And Peter, Adonis, please join here for a while. Hello, everyone. My name is Adonis. Uh, I'm a husband and a father of two. And my volunteering journey started way back when I was still a student. I'm from Butuan. And when I came to Dumaguete for school in Siliman, I was looking for a place to belong. So fortunately, I got invited to Victory and was eventually invited to serve in a ministry. So now, when I first started serving, na amazed ko na grabe kaya ka-committed mag-serve ang mga people and grabe sila ka-committed in excellence. So back then, even if students mostly ang nag-serve and sabalay pa mag-practice ang music team, so imagine... I saw them practice again and again and again until magkuha nila and perfect, perfect nila. Then, not only that, but after we would practice for a setup for the service, like after practice na, there would always be a purposeful fellowship during dinner time. Nai mga musta ni mo, imagine as a student, you don't have a family here. And then after dinner, as what? Family. Musta yung heart. Especially your heart. Well, magdinner, nai mga musta, and then etc. So it wasn't just about finishing tasks. It was about doing things together as a community. So imagine I'm from not here. And so seeing the people at that time serve the Lord and show genuine love and concern for each other inspired me to keep serving and encouraged me to stay in the church community. I had found a home in Dumaguete. So years later, guess what? I would also meet my wife in the same ministry to serve together. But wait, there's more. Because not only I am thankful for Finding a community, I'm also very thankful for the things that I learned while serving. One example is being on time. As part of music team back then, I learned that if my late ko, damay ang, ang practice. So I learned to respect other people's time. And when I start working, pag graduate na ko, I start to work, gi-apply na po, po na po para ang lesson because I wanted to be a blessing to my workmates. So serving in the ministry really helped me to become a better person. And so now, as a father of two, what keeps me going is that we want our kids and the next generation to see the joy and purpose in serving in the church and being part of the church community. I encourage everyone, especially the married couples, parents out there, to take a leap of faith and join a ministry. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. My name is Peter Jorgensen. I've been here in Dumaguete for 12 years. I'm from Southern California and Pastor Archie and I have known each other for about eight years. We've been good friends over the years. The last year really motivated me to want to get involved with the church. And so Archie's asked me to help out with fundraising. And I just want to leave you with two points, because first of all, you may say, well, I don't really know anything about fundraising. But you have to understand that God prepares us on two levels. He gives us worldly skills to function within this world, and he gives us spiritual transformation that uses them for his glory. So you may think, well, I don't really know anything about it, but God's probably already been preparing you. So I want you to think about the skills that you have, whether it's PowerPoint or research or speaking skills, 
There's a lot of different things. It takes a large group of people to raise money for the church. And those skills that God has given to you, are you using them for your own pleasures? Are you using them for worldly applications? Or how about using them for God's purpose, Good. for God's kingdom? The other thing is, is you know, as R.C. preached from Isaiah 6, 5, he talked about, woe is me, I'm unclean. Well, all of us can recognize that. We understand. We don't want people to see inside of our heads because we know what a mess it really is. And so, you know, God prepares us spiritually to do his plan. And you don't show up necessarily having everything in order, but God, God can work through you because that's truly the mystery that, that Paul talks about. The mystery is how can he take Paul who is working against everything that the church stood for and then transform him into somebody who is fervently working for God's kingdom. The other thing I want to leave you with is that, you know, we need to raise about 15 million pesos, I think, something like that. And, you know, you think, well, how how are we going to do that? How are we going to get the money? How many of you think God knows where that money is right now, right? He already knows. So, what I want you to think about is the, the simple answer is ask, seek, knock. We ask God's favor. We don't run out and do things and go, oh, look at me, God. Look what I'm doing for you. No, he doesn't need that. What he needs is people that are, are committed, people that are, are willing to submit their lives. And so we ask his favor in this endeavor, and then we seek him. How do you want us to go about it? I can tell you, I could share with you a lot of the skill sets that I have in terms of business, but all that's rubbish. God's plan is the plan that we need. And the last part is not. When we know that plan, we can go out in faith, in faith, and knock on the doors and watch the Holy Spirit open those doors. So how many of you believe this is no big deal for God. All right. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Donis. You know, a couple of things, and I'm going to wrap this up. I remember last week I was having lunch with Ben, and Ben was in the service for like almost two decades. And it was like telling me, oh, what was the turning point? Why were you in the service? He said it was like 18. It was, it was like 18 in California, and September 11 happened. And he felt like that basically set a different trajectory of his life. What I'm trying to say here is there's always something big out there. And I feel like every single one of us would want to volunteer ourselves for something. In college, I, I was a volunteer for Harry Bond Foundation. I was a vol volunteer for Greenpeace because I felt like there's something that I can be of help with. Things start changing when you realize that, uh, I mean, no offense, of course, to the different organizations out there. But I want you to understand is the Lord has given the church the message that will change people's heart. So I realize if there is an entity that I'm going to bring myself and get myself heavily invested in, true enough, there's WWF, you know, all of these things, and all of these things are great. You have world vision and all of this. But I look at this and realize, wait a second, this is what the Lord Jesus will come back for. And I want to be part of this. And all of that to say... I invite every single one of you to be part of a volunteer ministry in this church. Guess what, friends? I promise you one thing. This is an imperfect church. So you know why? Because we're all here. 
but it takes every single one of us bringing together what we have to be able to advance God's kingdom, not just in the city, but all over the world. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.